Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for today is from Luke 12. It's the gospel lesson that I read just a minute ago. And before I have you sit down, let me tell you just what happened. Anytime we have a doxology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in a verse, we stand out of respect. Actually, I missed the cue and the choir got it right. Please be seated. You'll need to have your worship notes in front of you. Let me see if I have mine. I better so I can have the answers. Actually, my blank one too. I hope you have this in front of you. And we're kicking off a new series called The Blank That Stole Christmas. You know, what is it that steals Christmas? We all have these certain ideas of what we think Christmas should be. Norman Rockwell, we actually, Bev and I used to get into Norman Rockwell a fair amount and had some things around our house with that. Uh, Let me show you, or uh, Nori is going to show you some of the paintings from Norman Rockwell. Let's take a couple, uh, a look at those. So that's pretty cool. You know, that's great. This is wonderful. Let's go to the next one. By the way, uh, I think this is kind of advertising a Plymouth. <laughs> but look at this. Norman Rockwell, he even puts a dog in there. This is great. That There's nothing missing. However, I got to tell you something. However, I think a lot of times our Christmases end up like this. Let's take a look at a couple more. Yeah, at the top, and sitting on the ladder, and twisted, and one more. Hold on tightly to his belt. That could be dangerous. All right, so we'll take those off. I love these, especially these last ones, because they're pretty realistic in terms of uh, the honesty and really kind of what can take place. And maybe that's why people buy pre-lit Christmas trees. I don't know. But there's some Christmases that are far more than just annoyances of light strands and strings that are tangled or bulbs that don't work, especially the old kind. And there are, it's on your list here. Um, And the first one, by the way, I, I skipped that first one in terms of what steals it. I guess we could put that down in terms of it's the materialism. That's what it is. It's the materialism that, that stole Christmas. And some of the stuff that steals Christmas are uh, more than just annoyances, as I said, and you can fill those in. Family fights and devastating sicknesses. Some people are going through that right now. And job loss. Actually, one of my na- our neighbors uh, right next door to us lost his job. Or I think about Kathleen Thomerson, life loss. So in this series, as we take a look at these this month, we're going to talk pretty candidly and openly about some of the things that frequently steal Christmas. And then we need to also put in there that it doesn't have to be that way. And as I said, the fill in the blank today is the materialism that stole Christmas. I wonder if you've ever watched like a a, a movie and at the end of the movie you're sitting there kind of still staring at the screen. It can be at the movie theater 
or a lot of people just watch movies at home right now with all of the options that people have. And you stare at the screen and you've got just a real short question. Is that all? Is that all? A lot of us have a, a pretty decent filter in terms of not saying that out loud, at least not right away. But there's some thoughts that we do have in terms of is that all? And that's in terms of, like, do you remember your paycheck, your first paycheck? For some of us, it's a long time ago. But that first paycheck, and you look at it and you go, is that all? Or you, you take a look at, uh, like, the tax refund that you'll maybe be getting this year. You go, well, like, is that all? Or like I said, you know, you go to a movie and, or you sit there in your living room or your family room and you go, is that all? You know, I think that for us, and I'm going to make this jump here now to our theme, I think that this whole business of materialism is something to which we can all fall prey. And Jesus is going to talk to us about some of the dangers that are associated with that. And then how it is that we can get away from that, I think, that pretty tight grip that gets hold of us every once in a while. So Jesus, the setup, and this is that Luke passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And around his disciples, I'm guessing they're pretty close by, and around them and these other circles of people around Jesus is this pretty big crowd. And this, this crowd kind of gets tired of waiting for Jesus to finish up what he's talking about. And they have their own agenda, and so they start asking questions. And someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, in, to divide the inheritance with me. That comes right out of Scripture. Tell my brother to do that. You see, Jesus has been talking about some other things. He's been talking about the last days, you know, satanic uh, attacks, you know, the pounding from the devil. And then he's also talking about how it is that when we confess, when we say, yep, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Christ, how that can kind of lead to some persecution and ostracization. By the way, that's not unlike today. And the crowd, though, gets kind of like, uh, they're not ready to turn on Jesus, but it's like, okay, that's fine, Jesus. That's a good topic stuff. That's all good, and I'm sure we can kind of put that away for something. But how about something for like right now, for today? And the question that this man has in terms of inheritance is really that firstborn stuff stuff, that stuff of, of how do you, how do you, how do you uh, divide the stuff that comes down from one generation to the next, and the firstborn gets the deal. He's the one that gets it in that day. He's the one that gets this big old pot. He's the guy that gets the farm. And then he decides who else in the family gets what. And the guy's brother says, you know, this isn't fair. This is not the way it should be. I've seen that happen. I remember distinctly pulling into a funeral home parking lot. I was going to do a funeral, obviously. And before I got, before I even hit the latch for the car to pull it open, the car door, somebody is standing this far from the, my door. I'm going, I can't even open the door. You got to scoot back a little bit. So I opened the door, and before I got out, the person said, go in there, pastor, and tell my sister that she's not being fair about the inheritance. 
Wow. I quite honestly didn't know exactly what to say. I said something that was fairly kind. Like, quite honestly, I'm not here to talk about that and to figure that out. But that's what, that, was what's, that, was, that was what was on someone's mind in Jesus' day and even our day. And it doesn't necessarily just have to do with inheritance. It's not fair. And, and we all get that it's impossible to please everybody in a family. Somebody might say, well, I was with mom and dad all the way up until they, were, until they died. I, I saw them every single day. And the other one says, yeah, but I called them every single day. And the other one says, well, I was halfway across the world. I couldn't do it, but I sure was thinking of you. And we all have these ideas of how this is supposed to work. And Jesus then responds to this guy in his day, not in our day, but kind of in our day, in his day, says, uh, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? You see, Jesus doesn't take the case. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of bite and, and take the case. What, what's really important, though, is not that Jesus does or doesn't take the case. It's why he doesn't take the case. For what reason does he not take the case? And then he says to the, this whole crowd, not just the disciples, but again, all these other ones, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of, of possessions. That comes right out of Scripture. And Jesus goes straight for the heart. And he sees greed in, the, in this. And he sees materialism. And materialism works like this. It's going to be on your paper. Fullness of life, and here's the equation, equals the abundance of X. Abundance of X. And the X is what makes materialism so tricky. You know, you can fill in that, that blank abundance with just about anything. Watch out, be on guard for all kinds of greed. That comes out of there. And here, that X, you can put it down. I already filled in one. You all got that money. Uh, the abundance of, of uh, money? Or how about the next one? Some of us think what we do is so great and we have uh, finally made it because of what we do and maybe how we look. Or that next one, travel. Some people love to travel and they live to travel. They live to travel. They live to get away and do that stuff. How about that last one? This might rile some of you. Put on your seatbelts. Sometimes it's the abundance of family. Ooh. And so we now have, and I'm telling you, this is, I'm listening to myself, that we sometimes put family in that abundance thing. If we have the abundance of family, that's all we need. Well, now let's let that sink in. You know, even good things can go in that X spot, that X, that abundance of. But nothing nothing is going to make that equation work except for one thing. And the main reason I think you and I have to answer that is that value of that X is going to make life work the way it's supposed to. 
So Jesus tells the parable. He tells the parable to help us figure out, well, what is that X? What is the abundance? What is that X thing? The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. I love this, and we say this often. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will demand it of you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And that, again, this comes right out of Scripture. Jesus tells a parable that ends in a tragedy. You've heard that rags to riches or riches to rags. This is really kind of that riches to repose. Well, what is repose? That's laying down. Riches to repose, that laying down. Riches to, in our vernacular, a dirt nap permanently. From riches to laying down and never getting up. And so here's the key, and I think this is what I have to pay attention to and you do as well. The tragedy is that this man had something and lost it in death. He lost his barns. Someone dies, they lose their family. Someone dies, they lose their future. Someone dies and they lose their impact on other people. But for Jesus, I think he was talking to not only this guy who asked a question, he was teaching everybody, including us 2,000 plus years later, that the tragedy is not what he lost only, it is what he never had. That is so critical. It is the loss is what he never had. And right out of Scripture, I'm going to read that passage from our gospel. This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves, but not rich towards God. And this man was not rich toward God. And that's what we focused on. That's what we focus on for the rest of this message, for the rest of our time right now, how to be rich toward God. And being rich toward God sometimes doesn't sound very practical for us. Whew, we just got our tax bill. I am stressed. You know, I, 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 uh, Christmas is coming and we want to be generous with lots of people. I've got bills to pay and I am so stressed. I am so stressed we might say. And we don't even have big barns. By the way, I get all of the things that we say, give or take. And Jesus isn't giving us some financial plan. It's not like this uh, financial uh, uh, seminar that we're going to this morning. Instead, he's given us a perspective, a way to look at things how to be rich toward God and not have to worry. The man in the story wasn't worried because his crops had come in. He thought to himself, and there's that phrase, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But the foolproof plan, huh, 
reveals how foolish he was. Here's, a, here's, I think, a key paragraph for us. If you have nothing to worry about because you feel like you have planned well and the future is guaranteed, you should be worried. I hardly ever use that word, but I'll use it this morning. You should be worried if you think you have everything planned out to the nth degree. So if you feel, though, like you have everything to worry about because you can't figure out the future, well, you shouldn't be worried. It's kind of that thing, if we feel like we've got it all done, we've got it figured out, it's all laid out, I think you and I need to be worried. But if we can't figure it out, and we'll get to, what do we do if we can't figure it out? If we can't figure it out, I don't think we need to be worried. Because here it comes right out of Scripture. This comes from Matthew. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, whatever you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you wear. It's, uh, <laughs> is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Freedom from worry doesn't come from a perfect plan. It comes from a perfect God. It does not come from a plan that you figured out and I have figured out, and it's perfect. It comes from a perfect God. And so I think we need to live beyond ourselves. The man in the story has an amazing bounty. He's got it all. He's just kind of figured it out, and he, he has more than his arms can reach around. But he just keeps telling himself. He tells himself, I'll say to myself, I will do this for myself. And he doesn't even put God in that story. The tragedy is not about him. It's about and him and what he had collected. It's about what he didn't have in this connection with God. He didn't have the connection with God. It makes me think about Larry. Larry, that's you over here in case you're, if you're, not, if you're not awake now, you're awake now. I mean, if you weren't awake, you're awake now. So Larry, I'm gonna point at you and it's because of you. I think about you and your missionaries who go down to Guatemala and we heard about you last week. And I think about how sometimes when we go and we see and people who go and serve at Church Under the Bridge and people who go and serve at the, at the Burke Center and people who then serve in what Every capacity they can and serving other people. And the miracles of that has to do with being able to see what people don't have and yet the joy and the happiness that they have. And it's not about how they reach their arms around things. When Jesus saw the crowd that is asking those types of questions, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus took the time to say, I gotta show you what you don't have and then how you can live beyond yourself. And in fact is, he gives them an example of how it is in his life that he goes 
Jesus goes beyond himself, beyond himself, all the way to a cross and an open tomb, starting at a cradle, to be a servant and have this attitude of how can I save humanity? You know, not only does the rich man never mention others, as I said, he never mentions God. You know, if I had a guess, he's probably Jewish. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's a quotation from Ecclesiastes. That's not made up. It comes out of the Bible in the Old Testament. This guy probably knew his Bible. But the, the Bible probably didn't have much of an effect on him. By the way, when I say the Bible didn't have much of an effect on him, I'll look around at the choir and the rest of you and me. Because I think sometimes that happens to us. We know the Bible. We can quote some of the stuff. But sometimes it just doesn't change our views. It doesn't change our views on money, on relationships, and sometimes life. And that's why I think Jesus wants us to think bigger. Bigger. This guy had all of his finances worked out. But he forgot this bigger picture. It comes out of James. It's on your, it's on your worship notes. Your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Boy, that's tough. The stuff that we have stored away. Dag nabbit. Or here's that other one from Proverbs. You know, riches won't help on the day of judgment. <laughs> wow. And so this morning, I want to end with, it leads us to the equation. Fullness of life equals Christ. Plain and simply, it equals Christ. It boils down to something so simple. Fullness of life. We can have all the fill in the blanks. Fullness of life equals Christ. Here's the passage from Second Peter. This is the blessing for you. First Sunday in Advent. First, first Sunday in our sermon series. The blank that stole Christmas. Grace and peace be yours. Here it is. Look at that. In abundance. Through the knowledge of God and of our Lord. Of our Jesus. Our Lord. Abundance. And the abundance of Jesus. May that, be, may that be yours, not only like for a day or a season. May the abundance of Jesus be yours for an eternity. Amen.